My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. No matter what time you're listening to this, we thank you for joining us today on the Faith 168 podcast. Today we're going to tackle uh, another cultural issue uh, that we see in uh, current event. Uh, If you're watching the news here lately, uh, you'll have seen that our school systems are in the news quite often. In fact, uh, here where I live in Arkansas, uh, there have been two or three teachers that have been walked out of the classroom uh, in neighboring counties uh, for relationship with with students. We see uh, in Florida there um, are issues with children being taught um, sexual identities and and different uh, sexual activities uh, from the early age of, of kindergarten, some at five years old. Uh, we have we have people that are uh, wanting and, and suggesting that we teach our children sexuality from a, a very young age. Uh, they're trying to take the, the innocence away from our children. And so this morning, we're going to talk about our school systems. We're going to talk about different options we have. We're going to talk about how we can raise godly children in Babylon. Uh, and so we're also going to talk about how we as uh, parents can raise our children, what we can do, uh, then as a community, as uh, Americans, what we can do in our culture to to bring about the type of change uh, that we see that we need. And so we've brought on a special guest with us today. Uh, I'm going to let Zach introduce himself in just a minute, but Zach has some really cool stuff going on. Uh, he is uh, a part of a new school that's starting uh, in, around his town, and I, I'll let him talk a little bit more uh, about that. Uh, but I had somebody come to to my church uh, just uh, about a week ago and, and talk about it. And man, I'm excited about your ministry, Zach, and, and what you guys are are doing. I, I know that it's going to start out small, but I believe God's got a, a big plan for this ministry, a way to not just teach children in the way that they should go, but disciple kids uh, even at school. And so we're excited uh, about learning a little bit more about this ministry from you, Zach, as we study some scripture. Um, and so, Zach, do you want to introduce yourself for us? Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. My name is Zach Davis. I pastor First Baptist Church in Mark Tree, and I'm excited to get to discuss these things with you guys today from the book of Daniel and really about what's going on in our society and what we can do as the people of God to, to help change it, um, to be an influence. As Robbie mentioned, I am part of a... Uh, a group of guys who are, are starting a classical Christian school in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And we are planning on launching this August with pre-K to first grade. Um, and what we intend on doing is adding a grade each year and really uh, you're just trying to disciple the nations through those means. So looking forward to visiting with you guys today. And thanks again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Before, uh, before I forget, go ahead and, and tell us how people can connect with you, Zach. Yeah, so my, my phone number is 
855-985-8155. Um, there's a couple different ways you can reach me, actually. Pastor Zach at fbcmarktree.org. Or if you're looking for information on our school, New Heritage Classical Academy, um, newheritageclassical.com. You can check us out there or send any kind of emails to admin at newheritageclassical.com. So um, we're excited about starting that, and there's there's several different ways of reaching out. You can find me on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter, um, Facebook Messenger, as well as Zach Davis. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a YouTube channel uh, as well, and you like to talk uh, a lot about uh, eschatology. And uh, what's that YouTube channel? Yeah, so it's, it's just my name, uh, Zach Davis. And there's a couple different Zach Davises on there, but uh, we might uh, be able to leave some kind of link or something for the folks if you guys want to check that out. Absolutely. Well, we're going to dive right into the scripture. Uh, Brother Zach, do you mind to go ahead and, and start us in a word of prayer and then read God's word for us? Yep, I sure will. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather today. Lord, be with us as we think about these things, Lord, that you would have us to be mindful of. God, we pray that you would guide our conversation and discussion Lord, as we look at, um, Lord, what it looks like to live in a society that, Lord, appears to to not know you, Lord, to um, to look at a society that has turned their back on the Lord and on his word, and uh, Lord, a society that, to be honest, from the ground up seems to be more pagan than it does Christian, as we would have once identified ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would, um, Lord, just be with us today. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Amen. In Daniel chapter 1. Um, just to kind of set the background a little bit, the uh, the kings of the south, Judah and Benjamin, um, had gone apostate. So Nebuchadnezzar has come and he's taken um, some of the exiles to Babylon. And Daniel, you might remember, and Ezekiel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of this. And we want to read a little bit today about um, what Nebuchadnezzar's tactics were really in indoctrinating these Jewish men and how he wanted to, to do this to affect their culture. So I'm going to begin reading in Daniel 1.5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. This is a, a pretty interesting time to look at because if you really want to change a society, what you need to do is take the young people of society, you need to indoctrinate them into your culture, and then from there, they're going to be the next leaders of their people. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar here, as he's bringing these young Jewish men into his court, he's teaching them their ways. He's uh, making them dress like them, talk like them, act like them. And he takes pretty much the best of the best from uh, their people and 
tries to set them up in such a way that one day these guys are going to lead the Jews in the way of Babylon. And I think as we're talking about society right now and how that's happening, we see that in our education system, I would believe. And especially as we we have these different controversial ideas when it comes to uh, government uh, teaching, public teaching that's controlled by the government, and, and we have these political issues that are going on. And it seems to me, and this is my opinion, that that the children are almost the pawns of these political games, and it's really destroying the education system. But we're, we're seeing these things that are, are being allowed to be taught, uh, such as gender identity and sexuality at a very early age. And then we're seeing a push away from things that aren't allowed to be taught. For example, you can talk about sexual identity. You can talk about uh, gender identity and things like that and tell kids how that's normal, even though we really don't have any data to back that up. But then when you want to talk about faith, a teacher can't present their faith. And more specifically, Christianity. It's it's more a, a fight against Christianity in that sense, I believe. Uh, though it's supposed to be that no faith is able to be presented. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't want to say that he's necessarily super smart, but he is being smart in how he's doing this by appropriating young men that will be the next leaders of the next generations into the Babylonian culture so that when they come out and start their leadership amongst their people, they're going to lead them in the way of Babylon. And I think we see that today. What would you say, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. So the, uh, this passage of scripture, I love Daniel, and um, what what's interesting about Daniel is the the southern kingdom was, for the most part, faithful to God. They had times where they were unfaithful. Um, this time, uh, the northern kingdom was the unfaithful one for the most part, and actually, God de- decrees a, a, a an issue of or a, a decree of divorce to the northern kingdom. But He is going to support and maintain the the southern kingdom mainly because. There has to come one from the line of David, uh, namely Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, but even though that God is going to protect and, and re, uh, keep a remnant of this southern kingdom of Judah, uh, he is allowing them to be captured and to, for their temple to be destroyed and for, for everything they know to be changed and for the people to be taken into bondage. Now, if you remember the Pharisees talking uh, to Jesus, uh, one time they said, um, we're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone, which is kind of ridiculous because uh, when they were with um, Moses in, in Egypt, they were enslaved to Egypt. And, and here they, uh, a great number of the Israelites are, are taken um, into captivity uh, in Babylon. And so to say that they weren't slaves to anybody is kind of crazy. Uh, but that's what exactly where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a different location. Uh, they were they are taken among uh, from among their own people. Uh, they're given new names, and I'll just share this with you guys. Um, so the names have specific meanings. 
so the, the Jewish names uh, that were given have uh, specific meanings in them. Uh, the, the, the names that uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave them also have meaning. So, for example, Daniel meant God is my judge, but uh, Belteshazzar meant Bel protect the king. Now, Bel was a, a pagan god. Uh, a god uh, for the Babylonians, and so um, it changed from the Lord, who is uh, God over all, the one, the creator of heaven and earth, to a false god, a uh, a god that cannot perform. This is a god that's been tested and proved that he is he is not capable, uh, and so uh, they try to change his name. Uh, Hananiah was the Lord is gracious, and it was changed to to Shadrach which is the command of Aku, which is another uh, Babylonian god. And each of their names is changed so that their, their religious, their historic, their traditional names uh, aren't their names anymore. But it's interesting uh, to me that Daniel and uh, the other guys, they, they didn't protest the change of name. What they did was they protested what they were going to do. And so... It, if I could say it a different way, they were given different names by somebody else. It was what somebody else was going to call them. They, they had no uh, ability to stop that. But what they did have ability over is what they did. And what they were asked to do was to eat things that, that they were told not to eat. The, the Jewish law uh, prevented many things and uh, only allowed certain types of clean animals uh, for for food, uh, they were also not supposed to touch blood. It all has to do with cleanliness. Um, and so Daniel and the guys say, you know what, we're not going uh, to do this. And so what we can see here is that um, it's not like Jesus said. It's not what's on the outside that defiles a person, but it's what's on the the inside. What Daniel um, and what Hananiah. Uh, and uh, Mishael and Azariah do is everything that they do, they're going to do for the glory of God. Um, it's hard to do that. Um, I mean, it's hard to do that in the presence of, of those who are like-minded, right? We, we see the northern kingdom starts out good and, and holy and, and seeking after God, uh, but then they rebel against God. Uh, the, the southern kingdom starts off good, honoring God, serving God, following God, and then um, they have abandoned God now and, and they've been de destroyed and only a remnant remains. Uh, and so it's it's hard to follow God even when everybody else is following God around you. But when nobody around you is following God and, and they're going to give you harsh living conditions and going to talk bad about you and do things against you if you do follow God, um, it, it just says something uh, to these young men who are going to stand up against those who are oppressing them and, and trying to change them and persuade them. Um, and you know what, what's amazing to me is the, the estimated age of these young men was anywhere from 14 to, to 17 years old. Um, I'm, I'm 31 years old, and I believe that I would stand up for Jesus um, no matter what people tried to do to me. Um, at 17 years old, I'm not quite sure that I would have been there. Um, I'm not quite sure I would have done that. And so this is amazing just from the standpoint that they stood up for their God. But it's also amazing uh, that they um, did so at such a young age and, and they held to their faith 
And because of that, God is going to do amazing, amazing things in, in their life. Uh, Brother Zach, I'll throw it over to you. Yes, yeah, speaking on that, one thing that's um, that sticks out to me is Daniel's understanding of what was going on around him. I, I feel like so many Christians today think that our culture is neutral. And to be honest, at the base of it, nobody's neutral. Whether or not a man says he's neutral or not, everyone has presuppositions. And right. Nebuchadnezzar has presuppositions of that more or less that he is God uh, mm-hmm. or a pagan God, not that mm-hmm. Yahweh is God. And Daniel understands this. And Daniel's ability to understand this allows him um, to know why he's getting his name changed, why his literature is going to change, why his whole philosophy and, and why his purpose in life is uh, attempting to be changed. Yeah. But but Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their main concern was being identified with the covenant people of God. And that's something that we need to understand today, even in the midst of, of people who who don't know God, that it's not that they are neutral and don't care which way that you go. Our our government is actively against the things of God. Right. right. And and they're not they're not bashful about it. Uh, the Bible tells us that there are days when you know, people will go against God and they won't even blush about it. And and we're in one of those days in the midst of our society. Right. So the question is, are, are we going to continue to identify as the covenant people of God and stand firm or will we cave? And the easiest thing to do for everyone is to cave. It's to give in because what we face today is a day where we're scared to have any confrontation at all. I have never seen a time like today. And maybe this has to do with the feminization of men because we want our men to be women and our women to be men. And we want to take away any kind of, um, let me just say the word dominion that God has given to us yeah. uh, as men. God made men strong and to fight into war. And we don't have a backbone anymore. Anytime that there's confrontation, I remember when I was younger, there would be all kind of confrontation all the time. There's no such thing as confrontation today, hardly, because we're scared to offend anyone or to make anyone mad. At what point do we draw the line in the sand and say, here's what God says. Whether or not it offends you, it is irrelevant. Yeah. Because our people today say, well, we don't we don't believe in your God. We don't care anything about your God. We don't want your God. And I would just, you know, if I could use an illustration, I might use an illustration that went something like this. You know, if I drive away from the church right now, going 100 miles an hour, and the cop pulls me over and he gives me a speeding ticket. And I look at the cop when he comes to my window and I say, Officer, I don't believe in speeding tickets. At the end of the day, I still get a speeding ticket and I still face the penalty for that. And whether or not our culture believes that Yahweh, that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether or not they believe that, it doesn't change the fact that he is. And Daniel understands this exactly. His his whole purpose was to still be identified as the covenant people of God with what Robbie was talking about, with not taking of uh, the delicacies of the king. But this is always something that keeps coming up throughout the scriptures. If you remember the story of Moses, when he's in Pharaoh's house, well, eventually uh, the book of Hebrews tells us in uh, chapter 11 that Moses forsook everything that he had in Pharaoh's house to be identified with the covenant people of God. Even someone who had it as bad as Joseph had it, for what his brothers, his his Israelite brothers, had done to him. They sell him into slavery. They tell his father he's dead. They rip him up and throw him off. Joseph winds up becoming this great man in Egypt. And whenever he has kids, 
he names his kids Ephraim and Manasseh. And can you imagine the Egyptian people looking around and saying, you gave them Hebrew names after everything that that happened to you? And what his purpose was, was that he would still identify with the covenant people of God, no matter how bad it was. And what we need to understand today is that our government and our system, and let me speak on college's behalf. I heard Ben Merkel give a talk the other day. And what he said was, was that our colleges, our state-funded colleges, are so dependent upon the government that it would hurt them more to lose the money from the government than if the kids stopped paying tuition. So if they had an option for kids to pay tuition or to be funded by the government, they would be better off being funded by the government and letting every kid go to college for free. That should be a red flag to tell you that there is, um, that, that there is an agenda. And everyone has an agenda. I don't, it doesn't matter what you call it. Any kind of school is an indoctrination center. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar has put Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Amendigo through. And the fact that they could understand that at such an early age. And we have Christians today who are in their 50s and 60s that, that don't understand this concept. That they are training us and teaching us in a way that is contrary um, to God. Our presuppositions are that we begin with God. And that Proverbs 1 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So unless we begin with God, then we can't know anything. We can't have a proper worldview. And I, I think it's it's time for us to get back to that. You think about if we send our kids for 40 hours a week to be trained by someone that doesn't know God. Body Bochum says if you send your kids to Caesar, you shouldn't be surprised when they come back Romans. And that's exactly what's happened. If you look at the stats... We send our kids to schools that hate God, and whenever they graduate from those schools, they go to a secular college, and this, the rate in the Southern Baptist Convention is that by the freshman year, 78% of our kids are walking away from the church, and we're wondering what's happening. At what point are we going to say, hey, there's something wrong here? Yeah, absolutely, and and I'll just throw one more thing in there, and uh, Zach, you and I were actually talking about this yesterday. Um you know, oftentimes our churches think that that youth ministry is the um, is the the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? So we we do all this youth ministry, uh, but we have these youth at the most maybe two or three hours a week. Um, but like you said, they're they're going to school forty hours a week, and then they're at home the rest of the time, or they're with friends. And if we don't get the parents involved in in church, and we're not uh, seeing the gospel change their lives and it impact their lives, and if they're not living uh, for Jesus, then then they're only getting two or three hours a week of, of Jesus, and that's not enough. It's not enough for anybody. And that's that's what this whole podcast is all about: uh, living faithfully, 168 hours of every week. That's that's every hour that's in the week we should live faithfully, and, and sometimes we'll fail at that, but. Our attempt to live faithfully 168 hours a week is much better than simply um, giving God one to, to three hours a week, especially for our children mm -hmm. who are going uh, to Caesar or, or who are, are going to Nebuchadnezzar 40 hours a week to, to be trained and, uh, and then spending time with uh, the other Romans or the other Babylonians who are, um, who are against God, who... Um, believe what this culture ha has taught them, right? That um, that sexuality is something to be explored. Uh, that that gender is 
is malleable, that, um, that consequences can be gotten rid of um, simply by ending the life of a child. Our, our culture is teaching our children exactly how to live just as Satan would have or Nebuchadnezzar or, or Caesar, and we have to do something about it. We, we have yeah. to stand up and stand, stand out for the name of Jesus and for the sake of, uh, of the church um, or we're going to see um, we're going to see America go the way of Babylon or yeah. Rome uh, well, and God forbid you know. well I, I say this quite often and it it varies on how people react to it but I say one of the greatest pandemics of our time is happening in the public school systems uh, in the government funded school systems and that pandemic I call it the identity crisis uh, the government is choosing to to wage this war and and indoctrinate uh, young kids with with a simple kind of a philosophical thing is is uh, gender is sexuality are these things fluid and uh, then it brings in it ushers in that confusion and if there's any good way to indoctrinate someone it starts with confusion and then you go into uh well you're confused let us go ahead and make the decisions for you in this so i think i think our greatest pandemic that we've seen in our lifetime thus far is that identity crisis that we find yeah. in the and, and, systems and the sad thing is is that that our culture the the ones that are in charge of the, the these things have been fighting this war for decades mm-hmm. um, and we're just getting in the fight and, and that's that's not a good thing yeah i mean if you look around where are the southern baptist schools at you know the lutherans the lutherans are starting schools yeah. the catholics are starting schools every time they put a church in yeah. and let me say this too there are godly people in the public school system there are right. christians oh, yeah. and there i mean there are principals they're superintendents they're teachers so if you're listening to this we're I, my intention is not to take shots at that Right. My, my intention is to be proactive in what God has called us to do because I, I really think that there comes a time when you lose control of, I mean, you a teacher in the public school system, she's not controlling what the curriculum is. She doesn't, I mean, she can't control what she's teaching or what she's not to a certain extent. Right. And I, I think really we have a misunderstanding um, really of education and how to train babies and how to train kids as Christians in, you know, in 2022 in America. Whenever we think about really just the educational system and the educational process, when we look at it for a church, then we want to we want to pawn someone off on a children's pastor on a youth pastor. Well, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a children's pastor or a youth pastor anywhere in the Bible. You're not going to find it. It's not there. What the Bible does say explicitly, though, in Deuteronomy 6 is that it is the responsibility of the parents right. to instruct their kids, and they are responsible for the education process. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we're not just talking about certain areas or Bible study. We're talking about Jesus is Lord in every area of life. Because Jesus, if Jesus is not Lord, then all things don't hold together, according to Colossians 1. If Jesus is not Lord, then 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4 consistently. But the fact that Jesus is Lord should lead us to use the presupposition and argue from the biblical standpoint 
that everything comes from that. And once we understand that, then we understand that God says that it's the responsibility of the parents to disciple the kids and to play a role in that educational process. And we've been so hands-off and disconnected from that as parents because it's the teacher's job you know, to teach my kid math, or it's the youth pastor's job to teach my kid the Bible, when really it's the parent's job and everything else is just an aid or a substitute onto the family discipleship that should already be present in the home. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that leads us into the, the next section of Scripture we're going to read, continuing on in Daniel chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 17, the Word of God says, uh, and for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Uh, now at the end of the days, uh, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuch brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, then the king inter, uh, interviewed them. And among them all, uh, among them all, none was found like Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. Uh, therefore, uh, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about uh, what the king examined them, uh, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers uh, who were in all his realm. And so what we, what we can see from this um, is that because they stood up for God and his principles, because they claimed uh, and continued in the covenant that he, is, that he called them to, uh, because they didn't uh, assimilate with the culture, but they acted counter to the culture and followed God even when it was hard to, even when it would have been easy for them not to, God blessed them uh, beyond what was imaginable. God gave them wisdom. He gave them skills and understanding, and God was with them, and he protected them. We're, we're going to see that again uh, all throughout the book of Daniel, or at least through the, the first um, six chapters that are kind of a, uh, a historical retelling of what happened in Daniel's life before it gets into more of the prophecy. Uh, but, but everything that happens uh, happens to show that God is going to protect his people. Um, is that always going to be um, health, wealth, and prosperity? Of course not. Does that mean going through the fire sometimes? Absolutely. Does that mean that, that we'll be put in the lion's den? For sure. But no matter what happens to us, as long as Jesus is our God and we serve him and we follow him, he will lead us and guide us through every situation, working all things together for our good. Ultimately, that we would be able to bring more people to repentance and see the kingdom of God grow and bring more glory and honor to God because he deserves it. And so we see here that the best thing we could do for our children would be to disciple them, to, to raise them up in the instructions of God, to show them the truth, to help them learn how to discern, um, not only to, to, to trust in the Spirit's um, leading in our discernment, but also to teach our children how to think. One of my biggest problems with the school systems right now is that they teach children what to think and not how to think. Mm -hmm. and, and the problem with this is it's the same thing with the old analogy of teach a man, or uh, if you give a man to fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for the rest of his life. 
in the same way, if you teach, if we teach our children how to think, then they'll be able to understand when they're being lied to. Yeah. Right now, we live in a culture that doesn't know uh, a truth from a lie. They, they couldn't discern uh, a simple truth from a lie that says uh, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Our culture cannot define a woman. There are, unless you're a biologist. Unless you're a biologist, but then you're, you're not a, um, a psychologist. And so even though you're talking about biology, you can't talk about psychology. And if you're a psychologist, you can't talk about biology. And so what we're doing is saying um, that you can't define a woman. Well, I'm not a cat. I'm not a dog. I'm not an elephant. But I can tell you what a cat, a dog, and an elephant are. I can, I can tell you their, their attributes. I can tell you what they do, what they look like, mm-hmm. uh, how many legs they have. Uh, one of them has a trunk. The other ones don't. Um, it, but our, our culture cannot cannot understand. They cannot discern the truth from a lie. Yeah. And we have to start teaching um, our children through discipleship and through the, the reading and uh, uh, of God's word and, and through prayer and through relying on the Holy Spirit. And, and by doing things together as a family that um, that we must rely upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, our schools aren't going to teach them that. Um, their friends aren't going to teach them that. And it's impossible for a youth pastor uh, one to two hours a week to teach them that. And so we have to stand up and, and do something. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we also see this within the, the world. We also see it here uh, is Nebuchadnezzar is taking these young men and putting them in this position, giving them the learning of Babylon, uh, the Babylonians. We, we see that they think that these men are going to learn better. They're going to, be smarter. They're they're going to to be enlightened, even if they go into this this type of education. And I've heard so many times that uh, people talk about enlightenment when it comes to these worldly ideologies. The only way you can be truly enlightened is to cave into the world. That's that's kind of what they present, but. What we see here is the opposite. Daniel and his friends, they didn't cave into the world. They they were enlightened not because of the great teaching of Babylon. They were enlightened because they followed the will of God. They followed God. And Paul writes many times throughout Scripture about the renewal of the mind. And a lot of people say faith is the absence of logic and things like that. But I would say it's otherwise. It it opens you up to understanding when you study the word of God and you put value into your faith. What, what we find is that you're more enlightened when you follow the will of God than when you follow the will of the world. What do you think about that? Zach? Yeah. And it just gives meaning and purpose to everything you do. Um, Whenever we say Jesus is Lord, that has so many implications for everything that's going on in our life. Because an an atheist doesn't have a purpose or a reason to live, but someone who knows God does. And we understand the the end and the means. And maybe we don't understand the means all the time, but we understand the end that the purpose of this is for the glory of God. Romans 11.36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. 
And when we say Jesus is Lord and we can't see what the culture is doing, uh, then it creates some problems and it creates inconsistencies in our worldview. I was talking the other day with some college age kids who uh, were professing Christians supporting abortion, just trying to explain to them the, the fallacy of their worldview. Mm-hmm. If, if When we say Jesus is Lord, that means that we believe that God made man and every man's made in the image of God. And therefore, if murder is a sin, then, you know, therefore abortion is murder and abortion is sin. We can't, they reason like atheists. When we have people who are professing Christians that reason like atheists, it shouldn't be of any surprise that our, our culture is in the shape that it's in where the Christians are okay with things that are going on in the world that are completely opposed to God. And it's because we don't have a biblical worldview. Um, at least not as many people as think they do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let me ask, let me ask you guys a question. Um, I, I think that this is part of the reason uh, the church has slacked up, especially the, the Southern Baptist church um, has slacked up uh, in Southern Baptist circles. One of the uh, most common uh, eschatological beliefs uh, is that the church is going to be raptured out of a world that is completely um, against God, completely defiled by Satan and, and ruled by Satan. Um, is it possible that that we have been looking for God to come for so long when God sent us into the world um, to 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 rule and reign with him in heavenly places? Is it possible that um, that we shouldn't wait on God because he's already come and he's already established his throne? Uh, it, it, isn't scripture all about us furthering the kingdom of God and, and taking dominion over the nations? What do you guys think about that? Yeah, uh, well, I, I like what Paul says in Philippians one twenty one: for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I take that even as if, we were to be taken up. There's an end and we're taken up. Yeah. Take that as, you know, dying to this world. You know, this world is done by that point. But we got to continue to live no matter what we believe in that eschatology. We got to continue to live for Christ. And so many times people will see this end game. And instead of putting effort in, they have, they say this quite often. Well, I read the end of the book. We win. And they use that to justify them sitting down and letting the world win battle after battle after battle because they say, well, at the end, we win the war. And that's unacceptable because we don't know the time and day that Christ is going to return. We don't know the time and day that we're going to die. And God puts us here in this world for a reason. That's to serve him, to reach out and preach the gospel so that others can come to serve him. Yeah, I definitely think the eschatology has been detrimental because essentially the whole issue is is this. All Christians unite around the fact that we want to see people saved and that we want to see people come to faith and know Jesus Christ. Everyone agrees with that. The problem is that's not all the commission is. The rest of the commission was teach them the law of God and to observe it. And we've we have failed at that part. That's and right. we have failed tremendously at that part because the problem is that we don't just win at the end. The problem is that we win in history. 
And we went in history through the proclamation of the gospel. And what we've done is completely taken our hands off the world. We, we said, we're tired of polishing brass on a sinking ship. We're saying, man, this thing's going to hell in a handbasket and we're out of here. So instead of running for school board, instead of running for mayor, instead of running for city council, instead of engaging the culture with the two-edged sword of the word of God, we've completely backed off and disabandoned ourselves because we thought, because of the way we believe, that there was, there's no chance for victory. There's mm-hmm. America can see repentance, um, but it's, but it's going to take the people of God to stand up and hold up the banner of God yeah. and say, this is exactly what we got to do. Mm-hmm. Let me read you a little bit about what Jeremiah wrote to Daniel and to those who were in exile. Yeah. So Jeremiah stays at home and in Jeremiah 29, he writes a letter to those guys who had been taken into captivity. It says this, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let me skip down to verse 4. Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. One thing, we're in this time because God placed us here. Mm-hmm. But let's see what he says. Jeremiah says from God, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets, your diviners, who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams, which you cause to be dreams. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And then we get down to a famous passage that says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, And go and pray to me, that's Daniel 9, by the way, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So what the promise is for those guys is simply this, and I think this application carries across to us. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, the meek inherit the earth. Those who listen to God are the ones who will inherit the land. That's always been the story of the Bible. You listen to God, you flee in the Exodus. You listen to God, you get out of Sodom. You listen to God, you get on the boat with Noah. You listen to God, you avoid the judgment in Jerusalem. You listen to God today, you inherit the earth. Those who are claiming abortion, they're not going to inherit the earth. They're not going to have any babies. Those who are for homosexual marriage, they can't inherit the earth. They're not going to have any babies. The only people who can inherit the earth are those who listen to the Lord. But the instruction is clear that we're to engage in the culture that we're living in. He told them, build houses, take wives and gardens, seek the peace of the city where you are. And I think we have done a disservice um, really to the kingdom of God by disengaging the culture in America. We've said, here it is, young have it. At what point do we get in the game? Yeah, and people often quote this separation of church and state, and they take that into their personal lives too, and it's just crazy. But the the whole idea of separation of church and state has been completely reversed in, in what it was put there for. Separation of church and state was not to stop the church from 
engaging into the culture separation of church and state was to stop the state from keeping the church to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've lost so much as as we have disengaged from from culture, as we've disengaged really from church. I mean, look at the number of people that claim to be Christians versus the number of people that go to church. Um, that number is way, way off. And COVID um, has exacerbated that, right? And so um, the number of people on the rows at, at Calvary, I think, is like 420-something. Uh, you know how many people show up on Sunday mornings? Uh, somewhere between 60 and 70, depending on the Sunday. Um, there, there's something wrong with that. You know, there, there's something wrong with um, a Christian that doesn't put Jesus as Lord so much that they don't they for, uh, forsake the gathering. If you forsake the gathering, you're not going to win in any place in your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not talking about missing once in a while or, or if you have work. But for the most part, if you forsake the gathering, you're not winning in any spot, in any place in your life. Uh, but that that's where we find ourselves. And, and so I completely agree with you guys. This, that we've got to go ahead. The stats on the Southern Baptist Convention: there's over 15 million members, average weekly attendance 3.1 million. That is wow. crazy. Yeah, wow. and, and I would I would wager too that if we look at every type of convention, every type of denomination, we'd see even those same numbers amongst them. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you for your time today, Zach. Unfortunately, we're running out of time but we still have a lot more to discuss uh so we're going to continue this discussion and and finish this up uh in another episode so make sure to be looking out for that but we do live in a time where the church needs to take a stand uh we we need to put value on our relationship with god and if we put value on our relationship with god what we're going to find is that we're going to put value on our relationship with our family. We're going to put value in to our relationship to the community. And we're going to get out there and actually stand on the word of God. So this is very important stuff that we have to consider. And I think a lot of, of parents, Christian parents, are, are really concerned as well. And I think there needs to be some change. But I think the biggest change is that as we were talking about all of those numbers of we have 15 million uh, members of the Southern Baptist Convention, but yet only three some odd million show up to service. I think that might be the biggest start to the change is if you're a Christian, if you're listening to this and you say, hey, I'm a Christian, are you involved in your church? Because that's where the stand starts. Be involved in your church. Be involved through your church in the community and stand solidly on the word of God. But thank you for joining us today, Zach. Uh, we look forward to talking to you a little bit more about uh, some of the things going on in the ministry that God has entrusted you with. Brother Rob, before we dismiss, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I just uh, appreciate uh, Zach for coming on and, and helping us out and uh, I encourage you guys to to tune back in um, as we continue this conversation. Uh, I think we still have uh, a lot of important things to cover, uh, but but I, th- I think you're right, Brother Christian, that that we have to uh, to start 
uh, by doing the very least that we can do, and that's be involved in our local church. Yeah. Um, Well, let's go ahead and meet the Lord in prayer, and we'll dismiss today. And I want to thank everyone for listening uh, this morning, this afternoon, or this evening, whatever time you're listening. We thank you for joining us today. Let's meet God in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this time that we got to fellowship as brothers over this podcast. I thank you for those that are uh, listening to this podcast. I pray that as we continue on in this discussion, that it can just glorify you and edify those people that are listening. So, Father, help us to stand strong in your word and to reach out into our communities uh, and be a part of our communities as your representatives, Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We love you, and we hope that God blesses you this week. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith 168 Podcast and send us a message. It can be a prayer request, or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating. Just send us a message. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again in 168 hours.